Blog Talk Radio. to research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And then following the show, please continue this discussion on research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page, Our Black Ancestry, and Afrogenius.com. Well, tonight's show will focus on the National Liberty Memorial to African-American Patriots in Washington, D.C. And my guest is Maurice A. Barboza, and he is the founder and CEO of the National Mall Liberty Fund, a nonprofit authorized by Public Law 112-239, to establish a memorial to African-American contributions to liberty during the Revolutionary War. In September 2014, Public Law 113-176 made the National Liberty Memorial eligible for a site in Washington's Monumental Corps. He said this memorial will remind Americans that it was their vision for America that prevailed. Mr. Barboza has written opinion pieces and spoken extensively about the 30-year quest to construct the memorial and his aunt's trailblazing battle in the mid-1980s for membership in the Daughters of the American Revolution. A 2013 book, Sacrificing Soldiers on the National Mall by Kristen Haas, and a recent article in the Washington Post, After 30 Years, a Site for Memorial by Tom Jackman, tells the story. So let me give a warm welcome to Mr. Maurice A. Barboza, to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Mr. Barboza. 
Well, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. It was certainly warm, Bernice, and I'm very glad to be here, particularly since it involves the uh, National Archives and Blog Talk Radio. Well, I'm so happy that you have taken time to come on the show tonight just to share with us what the National Liberty Memorial is all about. But before we move into a discussion about the National Liberty Monument, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and then tell us why did you decide to just really pro, uh, pursue this whole creation of the National Liberty Memorial to African-American patriots? Well, I grew up in a little town in Connecticut, and I went to Central Connecticut State University, majored in political science, and I uh, went to uh, Rutgers Law School and graduated and came to Washington to my first job. And after a couple of years, I was very fortunate to be hired by Representative John Conyers uh, as an aide um, in his uh, congressional office in Washington. And a few months later, by good fortune, he became chairman of the Subcommittee on Crime of the Judiciary Committee, and he um, offered me the job of counsel to the, to the subcommittee. And I was there for seven years, and... Uh, greatly enjoyed uh, working on the Hill, and I, I learned a little bit about politics. But I also think that um, growing up in Connecticut, I might have had a good atmosphere for, for that sort of thing. Yes, I can imagine you would have a good atmosphere for that sort of thing. And, and certainly just your knowledge of, of how things work on Capitol Hill uh, probably served as a nice prerequisite for you to get engaged in, in trying to get this National Liberty Memorial or Monument established. So before we move really into a discussion about the National Liberty Monument, why don't you uh, take us back and, and share with us your ancestral links to the American Revolution? Yes, well... I had no idea that I haven't had any ancestral root connections to the uh, Revolutionary War. I knew about the Daughters of the American Revolution and that it was a hereditary organization. My grandmother was half white, half black. She was born in Virginia. Um, her father was a white main sea captain. Her mother was a black woman from Bermuda 100 in Virginia. And I knew a little bit about the history because my mother was interested in his, uh, of the family history, and she spent a lot of time with my great-grandmother. Uh, and she told her stories, and uh, my mother repeated them to me, and there was a picture hanging on my grandmother's living room wall of a white man in a Civil War uniform. All I knew was his last name. I didn't know his first name, and I, I was very quiet. I didn't talk very much as a child. My grandmother was a res very reserved person, and she probably wouldn't have thought any of this was uh, out of the ordinary. Um, and so it played in my mind for many, many years, and... Um, as an adult living in Washington, I, in 1978, decided to um, trace that man's ancestry and see how far back I could uh, go. Um, so I, one day I called the National Archives, and I arranged to visit on a Saturday morning and told them what I was about to do. And 
I went to the main desk and I began pulling uh, files for the man, for, for people who served in the Revolutionary from Maine named G-A-Y, Gay. Um, and after about the third file, I discovered that my um, ancestor's name was John Curtis Gay and the names of his mother and sisters, they matched the names my mother had been telling me about my entire life. And the file was very thick, uh, and it looked as if it had been prepared, you know, not 150 years prior, but, um, you know, like maybe that year, uh, the documents were pristine. It was a wonderful experience. Yes, it sounds like a wonderful experience, and you, you're so lucky that you were able to to go into the National Archives on a Saturday morning and to walk out with information about your Revolutionary uh, War patriot. So just to help other people, because I mean, sir, you certainly had a wonderful experience. You know that you are a descendant of a patriot. But from a historical perspective, why don't you help us understand how many uh, African Americans served in the Revolutionary War, and what have you found out as far as where they're from? Uh, yes, certainly. I the, there were over over five thousand patriots that have been estimated by historians for many years. No one had actually gone into the records to determine how accurate that number was. And it, after I had traced my ancestry and discovered that I was a descendant of uh, you know, multiple patriots who had served in the Revolutionary War, these were all white men, but it, it changed from white to black um, when my aunt attempted to join the Daughters of the American Revolution. I had already become a member of the Sons of the American Revolution. It wasn't a goal of mine. It never occurred to me. But I was at a Black History Month program and met Charles Bloxon, who's an African-American book collector. Uh, and he said, Maurice, you ought to join the Sons of the American Revolution. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe I'll look into it. I did. Made a phone call. They told me what I needed to do. Um, I filed my application. And within uh, five months, I believe, in May of 1980, I became a member. And I invited my three aunts to my home to see the documentation and everything that I'd found in the family, photographs I'd taken of trips around Maine and Massachusetts and Virginia and elsewhere. Uh, and Lena Ferguson, Lena Santos Ferguson, my mother's sister, my aunt, um, uh, agreed that she would uh, attempt to join the Daughters of the American Revolution upon my suggestion. And she said, Maurice, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I said in response that, well, this is 1980. Well, she was correct, and over the next four years, uh, the local chapters, there were over, I think, 200, uh, over 50 chapters in Washington, D.C., and uh, my aunt had a sponsor in a particular chapter, and they wouldn't uh, entertain her membership. And that went on for three years until 1984. It ended up on the front page of the newspapers. And in the meantime, I uh, went to Congresswoman Nancy Johnson from Connecticut and asked her if she'd introduce a resolution honoring African Americans who served, because my aunt said, well, the reason I'm joining is to honor, of course, my ancestors, but because I'm black, I also want to, to show that African Americans had served. And, and the wonderful resources we have in, in Virginia and Washington area, I went to the Prince William Library, discovered Benjamin Quarles' book, and thought, wow, this is just extraordinary. 
Um, 5,000 served. I thought there were only maybe a few dozen who had served. And so um, Congressman Johnson introduced the bill, and coincidentally, it occurred on um, that it was signed by the president about a week later after my aunt's battle with the DAR hit the front page of the Washington Post. So, um, and then much more happened after that that brought to light uh, not only uh, that put names and and residences on those um, uh, on those numbers, those cold numbers, five thousand. We know a lot more about them today than we did. Yes, we certainly do know a lot more. In fact, uh, there's this huge 2008 publication by the Daughters of the American Revolution, Forgotten Patriots, African Americans and American Indian Patriots of the Revolutionary War. And I certainly hope that everyone will take advantage of the uh, free publication that you can download from DAR. It's about 874 pages. It's a huge document. I have it. I've been going through it, and you know, it, you you're right. We certainly know it's over five thousand uh, patriots that we should be looking at. So, back to this whole issue about the uh, monument. Now, help us understand. Okay, I I know there's a political process and steps that you have to go through to get a public law passed. So tell us, what is this public law? What does it mean? And, and what, how did you do it? Yes, well, in uh, 19, uh, excuse me, in 2005, uh, there had been a previous project that I founded, uh, which, which uh, fared beautifully until um, things kind of imploded. And it's not uncommon with memorials. All kinds of things can happen. Um, but to make a long story very, very short, by 2005, the authorization for that memorial expired. And my aunt and I left the project in 1991, I believe it was, toward the end of 1991, and had nothing else to do with it uh, from thereafter. And then in 2005, I thought, this, you know, regardless of what happened, uh, it doesn't change the extraordinary nature of this history. And... It, this memorial needs to be built. So in 2005, I went to uh, talk to the House and Senate um, committee staff, and most of them were skeptical. They really didn't want to touch this. Uh, but uh, Senator Dodd, um, I, whom I met at a White House ceremony, because um, Carl Rove, who was an aide to President Bush, uh, received a letter from me, and thereafter he had the staff of the uh, uh, the White House public liaison staff inform me of events and other things that I might be able to attend that would help me meet people and promote this project. And surely enough, one afternoon after a, an event honoring um, the um, uh, World War II uh, service of African Americans, um, I met Senator Dodd, and he agreed eventually to introduce the bill. And then over the next uh, two Congresses, um, it didn't fare too well. And then the third Congress, the Energy Committee reported the bill, uh, but it didn't pass Congress because these kinds of bills, uh, lands bills, were having a very rough time. And not just this bill, but all lands bills. 
but it wasn't until the next Congress, um, which ended in 2012, and we were almost at the same point of, of losing, again, uh, a freestanding bill, and Senator Lieberman, who uh, took over for Senator Dodd, decided he was going to put an amendment onto the defense authorization bill, and this is something he did entirely on his own. He said, look, we got he's told us aid, and I heard this story, that we need to get this done, and he went down to the Senate floor and spoke to the leaders of the the bipartisan leadership of the Armed Services Committee, and they allowed the bill to be attached. And it went to the House, and they accepted the amendment. It was approved, and President Obama signed it on the 2nd of uh, January of uh, uh, 2013. Um, and so it was a, a bipartisan effort, um, and it's always been that way. So uh, that gave us authorization to construct a memorial somewhere in Washington. As you earlier mentioned, the... Uh, Memorial a year later was uh, in September of uh, this year authorized to establish the memorial at a site uh, on uh, in the monumental core, which includes that portion of the mall, which is not uh, restricted uh, outside of the reserve. There's an area of the mall. Well, the, the entire mall is now restricted, to, and no new memorials can be constructed there. And there is this one site, which is the last remaining site, uh, that we uh, have a good deal of support for. Now, with this with this bill, how long do you have to raise the money and to move forward? I mean, is there is there a certain period of time where you have to prove that you're really getting this off the ground, or is it one of these bills that will stay here forever? Uh, no, no, it it uh, it has a, a limitation of seven years. All memorials are initially given seven years, and because we were um, given um, Area One designation, and it took it consumed uh, about a year to do that, almost a year. Um, the clock starts all over again. So we have seven years from September, I believe it was 28th, when President Obama signed the bill. Um, seven years from September 28th of this year to raise the funds and construct a memorial. And so our plan is a very aggressive one, and uh, I believe it's absolutely possible to do it. It's going to be uh, uh, depend upon uh, people coming forward and standing up, making connections and talking about this and doing precisely, Bernice, what you're doing here. Um, and we want to raise enough money to be able to uh, conduct a groundbreaking in, um, on July 4th of uh, 2016. And thereafter, we want to have enough funds, that is 75% of the funds for total, for total construction need to be raised in order to begin construction. And we want to have that accomplished uh, within 2016. Uh, so we want to do this quickly. We don't want it uh, dragging out. And... Um, and as you have, and everyone else has read the news and 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 seen the uh, activity uh, happening in America on on the streets, uh, it's time to have a dialogue on race. And this memorial and this history is about telling Americans what we have in common, uh, our principles and our values, which have evolved, and they've evolved because of African Americans' persistence in wanting to be a part of this nation from the Revolutionary War on forward. And so they demonstrated it by serving in all the 
wars, some of these patriots had descendants who served in every single subsequent war. Uh, that's an extraordinary statement. And for us to understand that history is going to bring us closer together as a nation, that we're not divided, that we all share these values, and that African Americans are at the apex of liberty in America. It is not a separate history. It is a unified history with African Americans believing the most and having the greatest fidelity to the founding principles. And we all enjoy that, whether you came to America uh, in 1630 or you came to America in 1930 mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. 2015. <laughs> right. But, you you know, you're saying something, and I, you know, I, I think about, well, what are you taught in school and how many people even understand that you had uh, black patriots? I mean, what type of education needs to take place so that you could rally the troops so that people will recognize the the need for this monument? Uh, that's a very good question. I uh, One of the things that we're planning, it it's still in the planning stages because we're learning every day uh, about what this process is for the approval of the design, but we want every American to participate uh, in the designing and the construction of the memorial. Uh, we're going to, we're considering uh, conducting a uh, an ideas forum, and this would uh, reach out to school children, adults, artists, um, anyone who can draw or anyone who has an idea on what this ought to look like. And our our uh, sculptor and our design team will take those ideas and come up with uh, likely three alternative designs, and all so that all of the ideas that are brought to us are in some way um, going to be, if they're not incorporated, uh, they're going to be considered and help to fashion uh, the design of the memorial. And so this will mm-hmm. be a, a national. Uh, program that's going to be open to anyone. So it's not like a design competition where it's just uh, you know uh, architects and uh, and sculptors who are trained. But this is going to be something that will come out of the, the minds of uh, as many Americans who want to participate. Right. And hopefully that'll. Now, at, yes. Now, as far as monuments are concerned, uh, how many monuments? Are currently in Washington D.C. Uh, that directly relate to the Revolutionary War. Yes, there are over two dozen memorials to um, patriots of the Revolutionary War and soldiers. And of course, we we know about the the Washington Monument and the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, there's a statue to Pulaski. Um, there's a statue to Nathan Hale. Um, they're all around. Uh, be, there, are about, there are seven in Lafayette Park across from the White House, and that seems to have been the first area in the early 1900s where um, activists uh, began to think about how do we honor uh, the Revolutionary War. And they began by honoring people like um, Lafayette and von Steuben and other foreign um, patriots um, who, who served. And then it sort of uh, turned into honoring Americans, but these are all uh, officers and uh, people who were not, you know, walking around with, uh, you know, uh, holes in their shoes and and rags on their backs. Uh, these were uh, the aristocrats. 
so mm-hmm. this will be the memorial to um, the common soldier. But it's not a memorial to the revolution. It's a memorial to the struggle for liberty that began during the Revolutionary War. And this is a unique story. Only African Americans can tell the story. Mm-hmm. And there's a question coming out of the chat. How many um, memorials are actually on the mall? How many memorials, the total number of memorials on the mall? Uh, related to the Revolutionary War. Related to the Revolutionary War? Well, there would be uh, on the mall uh, the Washington Monument, the the Jefferson Memorial isn't really on the mall, um, so I wouldn't count that. But um, I believe that's you know that may well be the only one. <laughs> the mall runs mm-hmm. from the Capitol. The formal mall runs from the Capitol uh, to the uh, uh, to the Washington Monument. There's a memorial at Constitution Gardens between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial on the other side, and that's to the signers of the Declaration of Independence uh, on the little lake there. But um, and then there's a nope. The other one I'm thinking of is also off the mall. So that may those may well be. But I don't don't uh, don't put that in stone yet. <laughs> but yeah. that's about it. <laughs> memorial. Right. right. Yeah, yes, the, as far as memorials. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and continue to talk about what needs to happen and the costs and all kinds of strategies that you want to engage in to uh, rally the troops and get people to support this effort. So quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be uh, downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Now, when you try to download from Blog Talk Radio, you'll see a little cloud, and you click that cloud, and that will be where you can download the show. Some people have told me that they've had trouble finding where they can download it from. Uh, you can also find some of the shows archived on my website, www.genieberoots.com. 
Now, I've opened the phone lines for questioning. And if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. I will call out your area code and you will be live on the show. You have been listening to Mr. Maurice Barboza, and he has been discussing the National Liberty Monument. And so I'll go back to him because right now I know this is a big project. This is not something small. And so, Maurice, please tell us what kind of dollars are you talking about? Yes, How we, uh, much will it take? <laughs> yes, yes, that is the question. We estimate that uh, our goal is to raise $15 million, which is very little money for a memorial. We're going to be very efficient. It's not going to be a massive memorial like uh, Roosevelt or the World War II memorial. It's going to be a modest memorial, and it'll get its size and breadth from its extraordinary connection to these great views. It'll be across from the Washington Monument, and the whole length of it will have uh, stunning views of the Washington Monument. They'll have views of the African American History Museum, which is now up about four stories in the air, and it will also be on a line along 14th Street uh, with the American History Museum, and at an angle across Independence Avenue to the the uh, Holocaust Museum. So it's it's a very, very busy spot. Uh, but we uh, once our designs are um, uh, clearer, what the design is going to look like, then we'll be able to do an estimate of precisely what it's going to cost. And we're hoping to keep the cost below uh, $10 million to construct it. Mm-hmm. Ten, below $10 million. Now, yes. if, do you have a staff, or who's who's working with you to, to make this a reality? Yes, it's a great group of people. It's uh, all volunteer uh, over the past uh, 10 years. Michael Curtis, who is a businessman and an, and an artist in Washington, a great, uh, in, uh, who lives in Alexandria, but his um, uh, sculpture are, you know, is all around the country, uh, uh, Frank Lotion Architects of Washington, D.C., and David Newton, uh, formerly of Dallas, of uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, he's our sculptor, and they've all been volunteering their time and their professional services, along with our law firm and uh, also some help from a public relations firm early on. So, um, And then there are others who are uh, on the Hill, who continue to work with us and, and help us out, provide advice and uh, and uh, and connections. Uh, uh, Senator Murphy's office of Connecticut, who took over for uh, Senator Lieberman and Senator Grassley's office, and he's been involved in this since uh, uh, the very beginning, through the entire period of time, Senator Grassley from Iowa. And also, uh, of course, uh, Congressman G.K. Butterfield from North Carolina, who represents over 100 uh, African-American patriots. He represents more African-American patriots than any other member of the Congressional Black Caucus, which he recently took uh, on as uh, the chairperson. Uh, Most of the patriots, 1,500 from Massachusetts, 820 from Connecticut, 600 from Virginia, uh, they're all uh, represented by... um, uh, persons who are not African American, except for Bobby Scott, who represents from Virginia about 50 patriots. Um, we're also we had uh, solicited um, support from 
over 400 towns, counties in Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, et cetera. We received support from governors, from legislatures. Um, about 70 towns passed resolutions. So all of them are at the ready um, when it's time to mobilize to, to get this thing on the uh, on the radar of every American. Mm-hmm. And so while you're you're going to the various, I see you said towns uh, soliciting support. Are you also looking as far as a fundraising strategy to have these various towns raise a certain amount of money, or are you still in the that would be one process of getting your strategy up and going? We're going to assemble a, a, a national campaign committee. And hope, uh, and our hope is to have uh, a, a committee that can reach into the um, uh, into um, every echelon of giving in America. And we believe that mm-hmm. um, what will play out is that these towns and cities have citizens, some of whom are uh, in a position to be able to make. Uh, large and generous contributions so that they can participate in this message of the resurrection of this history and the unity of our country. And so they are the neighbors of these towns and cities, of people who live in these towns and cities, the people who pass the resolutions. And so they're all going to provide us with a foundation for reaching Every American, regardless of what their giving capacity is, from the very heights to to those who can give, uh, you know, a few dollars. Right, so it's going to be a right. a, a complete top to bottom uh, fundraising effort. It just seems like a, just an arduous process just to get something like this off the ground, and you know, I commend you for for just sticking with it. But tell us about some of the challenges, because obviously uh, you said you you started and you had to stop and you're starting again, but tell us what are some of the challenges that you have learned from your first attempt and how are you now working to overcome some of the challenges? Well, I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm just uh, just feel so gratified to have the opportunity to do this and to uh, work with some extraordinary people, especially congressional staff and, and members who sincerely believe in the, uh, the worth and the value of this project and, and, and of, the, of the history. And I think that and, and the challenges are stimulating. Uh, it, there are obstructions everywhere, and you have to anticipate uh, what might be behind them, what might be behind them, and then figure out how to overcome them. And, and so it's uh, it's every day is different because every day a new challenge uh, confronts us. And I think looking forward, the greatest challenge is to be efficient, to be unified, and to work closely with uh, the agencies that control the land and the agencies that decide on on the the final site and on the um, uh, design of the memorial, the National Capital Planning Commission, the Commission of Fine Arts, the General Services Administration, which owns one of the parcels, the Park Service, the Interior Department, which owns uh, other uh, potential sites, 
uh, in the Department of Agriculture, which uh, manages one of the sites. So all of them have to be on board with the site and on board with the whole design process. And and it's it's a process that's rigorous. Uh, we have to come up with three different alternative designs, uh, discuss them with the uh, with the managing agency, um, and then take them to the Memorial Commission, the National Capital Memorial Commission, as well as the Fine Arts Commission and the NCPC, and and that's you know done repeatedly, perhaps. But what we're seeking to do is to understand the site, to understand uh, how large this memorial may be, uh, and it's, and all of the connections, and to and to understand what's important to these agencies because they have a great role to play in making because it a memorial is there forever essentially and it has to be done correctly and we want to work as closely with uh, all of these agencies as as possible to ensure that this process runs smoothly so that we're not at it for 10 years we want to get this design done in a year and uh, and so far i think we've demonstrated uh that we've uh, you know, in, in 10 years, we've used $4,000. All the rest was donated to us uh, in terms of uh, the time spent. Other memorials mm-hmm. have spent hundreds of dollars getting to where we've, we've arrived at. So we're going to continue right. being effective and being cooperative. So in, within one year, you're saying within one year, you will you want to have the site identified, or there's something that is going to happen within that one year to get you to the point of, of uh, identifying yes. the site? Uh, no, we um, we pretty much have unanimity on our preferred site, but uh, mm-hmm. there still needs to be additional environmental studies, and the okay. commissions want to know. Well, actually, is this the best place? And how would a design look on this site? How would it look, say, at Freedom Plaza? And then there's a a, a, pro, a parcel near the Interior Department on Virginia Avenue. Uh, so they want to sort of, you know, look these over. But uh, they all agree that uh, the most appropriate site is the one on uh, 14th Street across from the Washington Monument. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I'm you know. I'm uh, absolutely optimistic that that will be the final site. Right. Well, if anyone would like to call in, please do so. If you have any questions, please feel free to call in to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, in the meantime, do you have any any other um, words of wisdom that you want to share with with the listeners about the Black Patriots or about the site, so that we could understand even more why this is important and why it should be supported by by everyone. Well, there are a lot of uh, things that I could point out, but I, I think I'd like to point out the daughters of the American Revolution in uh, in 1984. Um, of course, my aunt's uh, story became national news, and uh, the organization had resisted, and it, it had clearly tried to prevent her from joining because of her, her race. And there was a settlement agreement, and they agreed to identify all the black patriots who served in the Revolutionary War, and that's the book that you described, uh, 847 pages, with uh, over 5,000 African Americans listed. And the DAR didn't 
immediately embraced that project, uh, and and it took uh, 24 years of my aunts and my uh, lobbying them uh, in many, many different ways to complete this book in a way that satisfied us and satisfied us that they had done the very best job possible. And my aunt said at the very beginning that she thought that this project would help the DAR understand its very important role in America of of uh, letting everyone know, regardless of who they are, that they could possibly join the DAR. There are women who are um, whose ancestors were black, but their families turned white um, the generation immediately after. Uh, but they know about that patriot. They're proud of that patriot. And, of course, there are black families who uh, are increasingly learning about the history. And if you go to the DAR's web- website today and you look at it, and then you compare it to the pictures you've seen of DAR ladies from the 1940s or, 19, you know, Marian Anderson's era, uh, and move forward to the 1980s, uh, 1990s, you're going to see a drastic change. This is an organization that now has, uh, I can't, I'm not going to quote a number, but there are um, dozens and dozens of uh, women of African descent now members, and they're taking leadership roles as a chapter in New York uh, that was founded by an African-American woman, and it's an integrated chapter in Queens, New York. My cousin, uh, Elvira Williams, is a member of that chapter, and I'm so proud of uh, the fact she's uh, my um, uh, the uh, daughter of my mother's oldest sister. And so uh, I, we can see that change, and I believe that the same change can occur um, in the general population of America and make us all proud to be even prouder to be Americans. Right, right. And, and you, you know, as you said, certainly education is, is very important. And the, the Forgotten Patriot document certainly provides uh, background information and information that many people probably not even aware of. And so uh, I think that when, as as you begin to share even more about the National Liberty Memorial, then individuals will also, in their own genealogy, start looking at their family history and determining if indeed they have patriots as part of their family history. Uh, something that everyone will certainly be very much uh, supportive of. Uh, there's a question coming out of the chat, and it really relates to uh, what you're doing. Is this a full-time effort for you to stay on top of it, or do you have staff that's working with you? Uh, well, that's a that's a good question. It's a full-time effort, a full-time non-paying effort, and I'm very fortunate to have one uh, client who's very patient, and they have given me work to do pretty consistently for the last 16 years, so it's allowed me to work on this project. I work from home on their work. Uh, It's called Protocol Communications in Laurel, Maryland, and the owners are extraordinary people. They believe in this project. Their their company is uh, probably about 60% African-American, and um, uh, they're also planning to to help us with the with the fundraising getting the word out as well so um yes it's uh it's a full time more than a full time job and but it's not really a job it's it's uh something i i love and wake up every morning uh wanting to to pursue 
It's your passion. Certainly, yes. it's your passion. Well, do you have any any words of wisdom to others that you would like to encourage to get involved with you uh, before we close out on the show tonight? Uh, certainly, yes. Um, my um, our website uh, and, and uh, listeners can uh, send us uh, emails. There's a form on the first page on the contact page. It's www.libertyfunddc.com, and there. Is also a button uh, that connects to PayPal uh, for those who want to make uh, donations. And uh, uh, any donation uh, to us is extraordinarily encouraging. And it, uh, uh, it's uh, getting a $25 or a $50 donation is just like getting a $100,000 donation at the stage that we're at right now because it allows me to buy paper uh, for one thing so that I can print things. Um, and all of that's very important uh, to 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 getting this off the ground. So those are, those who give early uh, are going to have the largest uh, impact on the direction of this uh, project. Right, and this is a tax de- um, uh, nonprofit organization, so it is tax it's, deductible. It is indeed yes, and that letter is on the website from the Internal Revenue Service. Okay, and so if anyone is interested in talking to you, they can follow up by going to your website. Yes, and sending an email, and uh, and I'd welcome that, and welcome any conversation, ideas, thoughts, connections, contacts, anything that can help us uh, move this thing along. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining the show tonight, and uh, I hope to hear even more about your progress as you continue to to raise money to build awareness in individuals so that they can then be proud of, of the contribution that all Americans have made to America. And so thank you so much for, for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Bernice. This was an enjoyable conversation. Yes, indeed it was. Well, I'd like everyone to tune in next week. I will have a a show of which we'll discuss a a book called The Half Has Never Been Told, Slavery and the Making of American Capitalism by Edward E. Baptist. So please join me next week. Good night, everyone. I want to thank you. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Well, you can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page, Afrogenius, and Our Black Ancestry. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I will look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night, everyone. Good night, Maurice. Oh, good night, Bernice. Thank you so much.